Come on, preacher. This is my friend, Jonathan McNeese. He's the greatest preacher I've ever heard. I've never heard him preach a bad message. I've never heard him misquote a scripture. I've never heard him misapply a truth of the word of God. I've never heard a bad thing come out of his mouth. And I've never heard him preach that he didn't have the touch of God on him. Now live up to that. <laughs> well, I knew I was being set up for something. But in spite of that, I do appreciate those kind words. I do love Brother Toby. He is is a friend of mine, and, and, and I'm not setting him up for anything. He's one of my favorite people. I love being with him and with his family, and uh, just a blessing to be here tonight. We need to figure up this week, I was thinking about on the front row, of how many years we've done this. We've done it for eight years. I was thinking seven. One of them must have been lackluster. I don't know, but one of them was real bad, so... I, I, seven or eight, but, uh, so eight it is. I, I am thrilled to be here tonight and it really is a joy. It is a privilege. And I will say that in these days that we are living, isn't it good to be in the house of God tonight? And I hope and I do believe that we are appreciative of this place. We are appreciative of the spirit of the Lord and also of the scripture that we hold so dearly tonight. May we always treasure it. May we always be thankful for it. And may we show that in our actions this week. I'll ask you to take your Bible and go to the book of Job and find chapter 2. Great congregational singing tonight and great special music. That was a beautiful song, beautifully done. What great words. So I've enjoyed the worship tonight. Job chapter 2, when you get there, stand with me. And I'm going to read, I really want to read one verse tonight. But for context's sake, we'll begin in verse 4. Verse 8 will be ultimately our theme for tonight. Job chapter 2, verse number 4. If you're there in your Bible, say Amen. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal. And here's the phrase that is on my heart tonight. And he sat down among the ashes. And he sat down among the ashes. Will you pray with me and for me tonight? Father, it is a joy to be in your house. It is an honor to be in your presence. Lord, we know that where two or three are gathered in your name, that you are here in the middle of us. And so, Lord, with this in mind, I pray that we would honor your word. I pray that we would be sensitive to your spirit. 
And I pray that you would be lifted high tonight. May this not be the opinion of man. May this not be fleshly insight. But may the Word of God stand alone. May it change us. And Lord, may revival really begin in our heart, drawing us close to you and warming us by the fire of your presence. It is in your Son's precious name I pray. Everybody who loves Jesus said, Amen. You can be seated. For the last several months, I have been captivated with the story of Job. And uh, not the story in its entirety, but in places in Job's account that have been lifted somewhat off the page and etched into my heart. Tonight is one of those such phrases. The Bible said that Job had been smote with sore boils from the top of his head until the bottom of his feet. I would remind you tonight that the Lord gave the devil access to Job all the way to the point of death. Can I get an amen right there? So it is to say that I believe that he took that access and I believe that he brought as much pain upon Job's body as was possible. The Lord said you can't kill him, but that's all that I'm going to restrict you from. And so I don't believe that the devil took an inch. I believe he took a mile. I believe that he physically brought Job to a place of pain that uh, is enough to drive a person insane, to cause their physical condition to overwhelm their emotional condition and to supersede their spiritual condition. Job's not just suffering from a bad rash. This is not just the case of the shingles. This is the breaking point of his humanity. This is a place where the devil may not take his life, but there's nothing to keep Job from taking his life. A physical point of agony that is really, I believe, beyond our ability to understand. So Job has now lost all of his children. He's lost all of his possessions. He has lost all that he has acquired in life. And now his own body is to the point where his life seems useless. And death seems to be a great alternative. And so Job goes and he sits down among the ashes. Is that what verse number 8 says? He sat down among the ashes. Now, what is Job doing in the ashes? I don't know about you. But when I am suffering, whether it is emotionally, whether it is physically, or even if it is spiritually, I want to be in a place of comfort. I I want to be, if I'm sick, I want to be at my house, on my bed, or on my couch. Matter of fact, I, I want to be surrounded by the things and the people that bring me comfort. We have a policy here in the South that if something bad happens to you, 
whether it be physical or whether it be a death in the family or sickness or some great catastrophe, we're going to bring you a casserole. Can I get an amen right there? Now, we don't really know what that does, but we're just trying to make you feel better. Well, Job's not laid up on the couch eating a casserole. That's where I'd have been. But Job is sitting down in a pile of ashes. There's ten graves outside of his home place. He was the richest man in the world. Now he's the poorest. He was healthy and wealthy. Now from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, the devil has left the marks of pain on the body of this great man. And so Job goes and he sits down among the ashes. What is he doing there? I think if we are going to answer the question, what he is doing there, it would do us well to answer the question, what are the ashes doing there? The Bible tells us in Job chapter 1 and verse 5, And it was so in the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them. Now watch. And rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe that the ashes of chapter 2 verse 8 are the leftovers of the burnt offering of chapter 1 verse 5. When the Bible says that Job sat down among the ashes, it is signifying that this is a specific pile of ashes. This is not just something from the morning fire at the camp. This is not just a a, a place where they cleaned out the kitchen. But this is a very specific location. Job sat down among the ashes. I believe that the ashes of chapter 1 verse 5 are where Job is sitting in chapter 2 and verse number 8. What is that place? That is Job's altar. That is the place where Job has gone time and time again as he came before the holy God of all glory. I like what the Bible says in verse 5. Thus did Job continually. Ladies and gentlemen, that was not his first trip to the altar. Somebody holler, Amen. Job didn't just swing by when there was trouble. I believe this altar was a place that Job had been to many times. No doubt he had been there at the birth of his children. No doubt he had been there on those great events of their life. No doubt that yearly he would come before God and stand instead for his family. No doubt that Job had been there on his own behalf. No doubt this was a place where Job knew that he could come and meet with Almighty God. Oh, I'm afraid that some of us treat God like a spare tire. And is it any wonder that we have so many flats? Somebody help me right there. Job didn't just run to that altar when something was wrong. As a matter of fact, I submit to you tonight 
that when Job is first found there in chapter 1, verse 5, he is still the father of ten living children. He is still the wealthiest man in the, in the world. He is still living at the top of the societal ladder. When we first find him on the altar, everything's going well. And some of us tonight would do well to learn from Job that prayer is not somewhere we go. The altar is not somewhere we go as a last-ditch effort to correct what's wrong. Matter of fact, when we find the voice of the Lord walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden, ladies and gentlemen, may I say to you that they didn't have any children, so they didn't have any problems. Y'all say amen right there. I mean, they didn't have a mortgage payment. There was no Eden Electric Company sending a bill every month. They weren't trying to find uh, grocery money. What did they do in the garden when the voice of God showed up? They didn't pray about their problems. They didn't talk about their difficulties. But they fellowship with Him. Job was that kind of man that did not come to pray only when there was trouble, but he fellowship with God. I believe Job had been to that altar many, many, many times. And now his children are dead, his wealth has diminished, his health is currently being destroyed. And Job comes and he sits down in that pile of ashes. It's very interesting to me. It's very interesting to me because Job had been to that altar many, many times. But ladies and gentlemen, every time, oh hallelujah, every time Job had ever been to that altar, he had had something to bring to God. How many lambs had he sacrificed? How many young goats had he laid their life out on that altar. Maybe a young calf. How many had Job presented to God? But I want to remind you that now there are no flocks out in his pasture. There are no goats on his hillsides. The young calves have all been annihilated. Job has nothing to bring in his hand. He comes to this altar for the first time in his life Y'all hearing me tonight? For the first time in his life, he came to that altar empty-handed. Nothing to bring. No lamb, no goat, no calf. Matter of fact, Brother Toby, his children were gone. It was not out of the question for an Old Testament man to pledge one of his children's lives to the service of the Lord as an offering. Why, if he'd had his kids, he could have come to that altar and said, Lord, all I got is my Ten children, but God, if you'll move, I'll give my youngest to serve you the rest of his life. I'll give him oldest to serve you until he dies. But Job has no flocks and he has no family. And he comes to this altar. My soul, I'm having a time tonight. He comes to this altar for the very first time with nothing to bring. No offering. No sacrifice. And so now Job stands before God with nothing to bring but himself. <laughs> what did Job offer on that altar so many times before? 
According to chapter 1, verse 5, he had offered a burnt offering. Now, there are some very specific instructions given for a burnt offering. First of all, that burnt offering, its life must be taken. It must die. Its throat would be cut before anything was offered, and its life would be taken. I would dare say, Oh, I'm going to need somebody to holler amen right here. I would dare say that as Job sat down on those ashes with ten graves in the distance, with his wealth gone, with his health under attack, I would say that Job is in a place where he has died to self. The life of that sacrifice had to be taken and Job had died to self. After its life was taken, its blood was poured out, and then it was cut into pieces. It was broken. Oh, I dare say that Job fits that qualification as well. No doubt, when he sat on those ashes, he was a man who had laid down his life. He was a man who had been broken into pieces. After it was cut into pieces, then it was skinned. And the outer layer of the skin of that animal was removed from its body. This is to signify a separation of that which is internal and that which is external. You see, oh glory, the Lord was not interested in that which was external only, but he was trying to get to that which was internal. And I believe that by the time we get Job sitting on the ashes in chapter 2, this is a man who has not only died to self, who has not only been broken in pieces, but thank God he has been separated. And there is a vast difference in what was happening on the inside of Job and what everybody could see on the outside. The Lord was dealing with the internal parts of Job just as He would a burnt offering. Am I making sense tonight? After that skin was removed and the outer and the inner had been separated, then, listen to this, certain parts of that sacrifice would be discarded, thrown away. They were not fit to be offered to God. And though they were given, hallelujah, Though they were offered, they could not be accepted. And they had to be trashed. They had to be done away with. They were not able to be sacrificed. And I dare say to us tonight that if we ever really come to the place where we sit on the altar before the Lord and offer Him all of who we are, Ooh, I'm going to need some honest help in here tonight. There's some things in me that are not fit to be given to God. There's some things in us that are not fit for the Master's use. They must be done away with. Might we have revival tonight if we just got broken, if we just died to self, if we just allowed God to separate us and deal with the internal man? Would we not have revival if we allowed God to throw away some things in our life that are not worthy to be offered to Him? After certain parts were discarded, 
They were not fit to be offered. Hallelujah. There were other parts that could be offered, but first they had to be cleansed. The parts of that animal must be washed, and they must be cleansed. And after they have been washed and cleansed, then they would be laid on that altar and consumed by fire. Oh, I say tonight, I want a spirit and I want a heart and I want a willingness in me that says, God, do away with what needs to be done away with and then cleanse what needs to be cleansed. And I want to offer myself to you, but I can't be offered until I've been cleansed. That's what was required for a burnt offering. Now, somebody says, Brother Jonathan, the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible, historically speaking. It was penned before Genesis. It is the oldest manuscript in the Scripture. So how in the world would Job know what a burnt offering was? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you how Job knew what a burnt offering was. Same way Adam knew what a burnt offering was. Adam learned it from the Lord. And Adam passed it down to Seth. And Seth passed it down till it came to Job's house. Job knew what it was to offer a burnt offering before Leviticus was ever written. Before Exodus was ever penned. Job was familiar with the burnt offering. Oh, hallelujah. He had watched those lambs be broken and offered. And when he sat down on that pile of ashes that day, Job is symbolically saying to the Lord, I don't have anything to bring, so I bring myself. And Job sits down on the altar. And that day, with no lamb, with no calf, with no goat, with no son, Job comes empty-handed, sits on the altar and says, Lord, I give myself. May I say tonight, what a wonderful day it is when we stop bringing things to the Lord and bring ourselves. I believe the Apostle Paul was familiar with this ideology. For it was Paul that said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Job here has come not to bring God anything. I'm going to say this really plain. I want to say it on purpose. He's not come to bring God anything. He's come to bring God everything. Amen. He's not come to bring God something He's come to bring God everything. No goat this time, no calf this time, no lamb, no son. But I come alone and empty-handed, a broken man, and I sit on the altar giving you myself and all that I am. I found something very interesting, Brother Toby, as I began to look at Job sitting in those ashes. In Job chapter 30 and verse 19, this is what Job says of himself. Job 30 verse 19. Job said, He, speaking of the Lord, hath cast me into the mire, 
and I am become like dust, do you see it? And ashes. Job said, I am become like ashes. I am no longer giving the sacrifice, but I have become the sacrifice. Oh, I'm just going to preach a minute right here. I believe the Lord is weary of us bringing Him an offering. He is ready for us to be the offering. How many times have we bargained with God? How many times have we made a deal with the Lord? How many times have we tried to negotiate the contract? I'll give you this, I'll do that, I'll serve here, I'll say this, Lord, I'll follow you in this direction, and it'll be a good, glad day when we stop bringing Him an offering, and we allow ourselves to be the offering. Some time ago, I began to think about what I'm fixing to share. And I do not say this braggadociously or arrogantly, and I trust that you'll understand my spirit. But I came up the road today, and Brother Toby, I have now for some, oh Lord, some 23 years, 24 almost, I have traveled all across this country from one side to the other. From Washington State to the end of Florida, out west in Wyoming, Colorado. I've even been to New York preaching the gospel. The first time I ever went to New York, I landed there. This was years ago when they had just legalized gay marriage in New York. I landed there and before I got out of the airport, I had been called a redneck to my face. I was not insulted. I was glad they knew which side I was on. Amen. I mean, I want to praise God. I wore that as a badge of honor. And I have been privileged to preach all across this country. I do not know the hundreds of thousands of miles, if not a million, that the Lord has let me travel, both in vehicles and flying across this country preaching the gospel. And I'm thankful for it, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I I, I was a little bit tired today. He was talking about me falling out because it's been warm in here. We've been having an outdoor service at our church ever since April. And I pastor in South Georgia. I'm talking about 100% humidity, 90 degrees on Sunday morning. Friends, this feels like a cool winter evening in here right now. But uh, I was a little tired today. You know how it is. Church all day Sunday and then get up and deal with things. And drive. I was a little tired today. But I'm going to tell you the truth. When I got off the exit and I started getting close to the Wall Ridge Baptist Church, I felt the fire of God burning up in my heart. And I felt the Holy Ghost warming my soul. And boy, when I put this tie on, put this Bible under my arm, I'm telling you right now, coming across that parking lot, there's no trout stream, there's no hunting camp, there's no ball game, there's nowhere I'd rather be than in God's house on a Monday night with the people of God rejoicing over the Word of God. I mean that tonight. And I've been privileged to do this for now 23 years, almost every week somewhere. Did you know that there was never a time when I sat down with God and God said, all right now, I want you to be an evangelist. And I worked out a deal with God and surrendered to that 
I never sat down and surrendered to evangelism. Never did. I've been pastoring by the grace of God. I've been pastoring the same church this coming March will be 19 years that I've been standing behind the same pulpit. We started with three of us, just me and my wife and one other young man. God's blessed us now. We've got over 20 acres, got a new building, building another building, run two services on Sunday morning, have a young lady get saved. I'm talking about wept her way to Jesus yesterday. And I'm so thankful for that place where God has allowed me to pastor for the last 18 plus years. But I never sat down with God. And the Lord said, I want you to pastor. I never sat down with God and worked out an agreement on me to pastor. I Listen to me. I never surrendered to be a pastor. The Lord has allowed me in my lifetime to stand and preach on seven different foreign souls. I've stood outside of mosques in parts of Albania and Kosovo that were run at that time by Al-Qaeda. And I have preached on seven different souls. I've led people to the Lord in roadside barns on the edge of little dirt road trails going to the middle of nowhere. And on seven foreign souls, the Lord has allowed me to carry the good news that Jesus saves. <laughs> but I've never surrendered to be a missionary. The Lord never sat down with me and said, I want you to go. And we worked it out and I agreed to it. I've never surrendered to be a missionary. But I'll tell you what I did do. At the age of 10 years old, sitting on the front row of a little Baptist church just like this one, the Holy Ghost of God came by my way. And I have no doubt that morning, clearer than me talking to you, the Holy Ghost of God called me to preach that morning. And when I took those four or five steps to the altar and I knelt down and I said yes and I gave my life to serve Him in the capacity of a gospel preacher, I did not say I'll go here, but I won't go there. I didn't say I'll do that, but I won't do this. I sat down on the altar and said, Lord, I'm giving all of me to do whatever you ask me to do. And I've failed the Lord in a million different ways since then. So don't you think I'm patting myself on the back. But I'm saying this to you. You don't come to God negotiating your contract. You don't come to the Lord and say, I'll tell you what I'll do. <laughs> you don't come to the Lord telling Him how this is going to work. You come to Him and you sit on the altar and you say, all of me for all of you or you'll not come to Him at all. Job is in a place where he's not playing, let's make a deal. Job is in a place where he is not trying to work out an agreement. Job sits down in the ashes where the sacrifice would have been. Now he is. And Job says, like the songwriter, nothing in my hand I bring but simply to the cross, I cling. It's a pretty good place to be, isn't it? Sitting down in the ashes, on the altar, not giving a sacrifice, but being 
a sacrifice. I heard a story of a preacher that had got up one morning and preached a fiery message on giving. The church was having a big campaign, a push, and they needed a sizable offering. And so that Sunday, the pastor just, I mean, he laid it out there just so eloquently and beautifully and moved people to give. And at the close of the service, they were going to receive a large, hopefully a large offering. Got to the part of the service where they were to give and the ushers came and took the offering plates and down the aisle they went. They got to the second row on the right-hand side going that way. And a little boy, no older than 10 or 11, was sitting there and he motioned for the usher to bring the plate closer. And so he did. The little fellow motioned him lower and so he did. And ultimately he had that usher laying that offering plate on the ground. People laughed. People giggled. Some people thought this is foolish. They don't, don't need to play this game with him. They need to move along. And that little boy stood up from his seat, stepped over, put two feet inside that offering plate. <laughs> he had no check to write. He had no cash to give. He had no card to swipe. But all he had was himself. And himself was all that he gave. I want to ask you a question. You think the Lord wants your tithe? Or you think the Lord wants you? You think the Lord wants that sizable one-time generous donation? Or you think the Lord wants you? And I'll go on to tell you this. If He gets you, He won't have no trouble getting all that. But He can get that. He'll never get nowhere near you. <laughs> I bet old Job could have blessed a few independent fundamental Baptist churches before he lost it all, don't you? But God didn't want Job to be a blessing to others. He wanted Job to be a sacrifice. Job sits down where he had offered the lives of so many animals so many days before. But now he sits in those ashes He says, Lord, I don't even know what I can do for you now because I've been lost everything. I can't even influence my family. They're gone too. Can't serve you because my body is shot and racked with pain. Lord, I don't know what you can ever do with me. But here I am. And if you can find a place for me, take me as he sat among what kind of revival would America have if we sat on the altar and said, Lord, take me and take all of me. Adoniram Judson, that great missionary of the late 1800s. Adoniram, or of the early 1800s, I should say. Adoniram Judson met his wife, Anne, And upon their first meeting, he fell head over heels in love with her. He wrote her father a letter requesting Anne's hand in marriage. In this letter he wrote to her father, he said, I asked you to let me marry Anne. He said, but you should know that if you say yes, she will live a life of hardship. She'll face certain 
persecution. No doubt we'll face disease and peril and hunger and poverty. And he said this in that letter. He said, you'll never, you'll, you'll not see her again until we stand around the throne of God where she'll be surrounded by the heathens that she wants, giving her life for the gospel's sake. I mean, don't that just win the heart of a father over? That's what he said. You know what Ann's father said to that? He said, let Ann choose for herself. And she did. Her and Adoniram got married. They left their families intending to never see them again to die on the mission field of Burma, India. When they got to Burma, Adoniram began to learn the language, began to translate the Bible out of the original text into the Burmese language. He spent six years translating the Bible from the Hebrew and the Greek into the Burmese language. He wrote a dictionary. He wrote daily devotionals and he translated the Bible. And in six years, he did not have one single convert in six years. Imagine writing back to the mission board. Six years. And not only did he not have a convert, but the locals would not even speak to him. No interaction at all. Six years. After six years of this Hard ministry. Adoniram was accused of being a spy. And he was locked up and put in prison under false pretense. Shortly after Adoniram was in prison, and delivered their firstborn baby. Here is Adoniram locked up. And Anne is trying to care for a newborn child. Burma had a very strict law that Women could not beg on the street. It was illegal to beg. Anne learned during this time that her body had a condition that she could not produce milk to feed her infant. She's unable to beg for money to buy milk. Her body will not produce milk. And she's watching this newborn baby die in her arms as her husband is locked away in prison under false charges. And not a single. Adoniram's jailkeeper was a man known by the nickname of Scarface. A cruel man. And at night, it was recorded that he would bind the legs of Adoniram with bamboo. And he would hoist him upside down and leave him to hang upside down until the sun rose again. Anne approached Scarface with no other options and she begged him, please let Adoniram out at night to beg money so we can buy milk or the baby's going to die. Scarface said, I'll do that on one condition, that you come to the prison and you hang in Adoniram's place while he begs on the street. And so at night, Anne would come and take his place and hang in that filthy, awful, disgusting, disease-ridden prison while Adoniram would sit on the street and beg for coins just to buy milk for their infant son. He was released from prison. And after he was released, 
shortly thereafter, Anne died and the baby died alongside of her. Adoniram took the bodies of his wife and his young child and he wrapped them in bed sheets and he buried them in his own backyard. His neighbors said that it was not uncommon to hear Adoniram lay on their graves and weep and wail into the early morning hour. It was recorded that he said these words specifically over and over. God is to me a great unknown. I believe in Him, but I find Him not. A man who no longer had anything to give to God lays on the grave of his wife and child. And now he is not bringing a sacrifice. But now he is the sacrifice. Adoniram Judson would find the strength to go on in some beautiful story which I did not have time to tell. But I'll just cut to the end of the story. Today, 3,700 Baptist churches trace their direct lineage back to the ministry of Adoniram Judson. <laughs> His Bible translation is known as the authority in Burma, India. And it is the trusted and accepted Bible of the Burmese people. Adoniram's life was brought to a place where he no longer could give anything but himself. And I wonder tonight how many of us would do like Job. How many of us would do like Adoniram? come to this altar and say, Lord, I'm not bringing you anything, but I'm bringing you everything among the ashes. Father, take this word tonight. Oh, bury it deep in our heart. Lord, may we no longer barter. May we no longer bargain. May we no longer seek to strike a deal. But as Christians tonight, would we come lay on this altar and sit down on the altar and say, Lord, I am the sacrifice. Take me. Take all of me. All the parts that are not fit, do away with them. The parts that are dirty and must be cleansed, wash them. But Lord, I bring you all that I am and I give it for all that you can do. Do this tonight, dear Lord, please, in Jesus' name.